You are listening to Natural Magic, written and narrated by Molly Stroges. Chapter 1. Matsis. It was a long walk to temple. The law dictating Pilan worship time had been purposely designed for inconvenience. Sutvei, the middle of the week, and dawn. In winter, that meant the end of the workday. In summer, it meant five in the morning, and Matsius had trouble keeping his eyes open. He had been up all night lamenting the loss of his best friend, Ki Trit. Her parents, the Saju traders who traveled up and down the southern continent all year, had decided to leave that day, never to return to the country of Ethion. It was just too dangerous. His family was the first to arrive at the temple. An unassuming building with only the symbol of the purple torch to differentiate it from the empty storefronts it was wedged in between. They had once belonged to Pilan owners before they had gone out of business. Now the only work the owners could get was tearing them down. Broken boards and a heavy metal grate lay on the sidewalk waiting to be carted off when temple service ended. As the other families entered, Matsius's father greeted them in the traditional way, holding each person's arm at the elbow as he spoke in the Epiluno tongue. Greetings, child of the flame. Gripping his father's arm in the same way, they responded in the same language. May your flame burn ever bright. As temple matriarch, this was normally his mother's job, but she was gathering the children as his father usually did, and instead of taking only those below the age of nine, she gathered the teenagers as well. Ben and Kumal Lo stood near her, each holding a baby. Matsyas! His mother called to him and beckoned. He followed the group to the washroom. It was hard for them to crowd in there, but when they did, Matsyas could see that where the pipes for the sink led through the wall, someone had pulled away some of the boards, leaving a hole, though no one much larger than Matsyas himself would be able to squeeze through. His mother ushered them all through the hole and told them to run across the street and under the fence to the train yard. Havi Hall! Look after the little ones. Mom, why are you doing this? He asked her as the line dwindled. Don't ask questions. Just take them to the train yard. Meet with Lichelle Fandel. He'll get you on a train to Mevi. He is a friend who can get you out of Ethion. All of you. What about you? Matsyas's mother cupped his face in her hand. He could feel her fingers through the coarse fabric of his headscarf. I can't leave. I am bound to my people. You are not. Matsyas clutched at her hand. But— Listen to me. She spoke in her temple matriarch voice and looked to the hole in the wall. Matsyas dropped her hand and squeezed through it. As he did so, his headscarf got stuck on one of the boards and ripped. The bottom half swung loose, exposing his face to the summer air, but he had no time to rewrap it. He knew the enforcers could arrive at any minute to ensure everyone was inside the temple. He glanced back, long enough to see his mother placing the boards back into the wall. Across the street, the Low brothers held up the chain-link fence and passed the babies to Javi Hall and Matsyas's brother, Lamel, who stood on the other side. Matsyas held the fence for Ben, then squeezed under himself, careful not to snag his headscarf again or knock his glasses off. They crossed the train yard as a tight, huddled group, walking as quickly and quietly as they could. As they neared the trains, they saw the beam of a flashlight. Matsyas hushed everyone and told them to crouch behind one of the cars. He worried they wouldn't listen to him, but they did. He wasn't sure if it was because he was the matriarch's son, or if they were all just scared. Matsyas? A voice hissed as the beam of light neared. Matsyas believed? 
Matsius recognized it as the voice of Lichald Fandel, an old friend of his parents. Gesturing to the others to stay behind the train car, Matsius stepped away from it. I'm here, he said, speaking Jahu, the common language in Ethion. Lichald got close enough that Matsius could see him. He was unmistakable, not for his tall, spindly stature or his red-orange ponytail, but for the rings in his eyebrows that marked him as an orthodox follower of Zeus, the old goddess of Ethion. He was alone, with nothing but a flashlight and a backpack slung over one shoulder. Are the others with you? Matsius backed away from the train car that hid them, hoping Lichald would follow. How... how do I know that I can trust you? Lichald walked directly to Matsius and took his arm at the elbow. Then he spoke not in Johu, but in the Apolluno language. I swear on the legacy of the Grand Matriarch to Seazatano. It was the greatest of promises that could be made among the Pelan, and if Lichald had taken the time to learn it properly, Matsius trusted him. Matsius brought him to where the others hid. Lichald scanned the children for a moment, then nodded and brought them to an open train car. I'm sorry it's a freight car. There's no way to get all of you out of Effie and his passengers so quickly. But I'll open the car in Mevi to get you on a ship to Breck. The children slowly clambered into the car as Lichald passed up bundles of food and bottles of water from his backpack. It's not much, but my friend will have more when we reach Mevi. Matsius watched Lamel climb in, followed by the Low Brothers, passing the babies up as they did so. As Ben put out a hand to help Matsius up, several of the smaller children gasped and pointed back toward the temple. Matsius turned. In the lightning sky, he could see the temple was on fire. Take care of them, he told Ben. He turned and ran for the fence. Lichald ran after him and grabbed his arm. If you go now, the enforcers will find all of you. Matsius ripped free from his grip. Not with my luck. Then he twisted it. He drew power from the pit of his stomach and directed it toward a root in the ground. This time, as Lichald tried to chase after him, he tripped over the root and Matsius ran ahead. As Matsius reached the fence, he could see the black uniform of an enforcer walking by. Matsius crouched down and twisted his luck again. This time, he sent his power into a board on the roof of the temple. It fell. The enforcer glanced at it and kept walking. Matsius even thought he smirked. Once the enforcer had passed, Matsius slid back under the fence and ran to the temple. From inside, he could hear the congregation singing. Matsius walked slowly around the front of the building, keeping an eye out for another enforcer, who would probably demand to know why Matsius wasn't inside. But he saw no one else on the street. The temple doors were blocked by the metal grate which had been out earlier. As Matsius approached, he realized it was half his own height. He grabbed the bars of the grate to move it, and let go as it was hot to the touch, but there was no other way for the people inside to get out. Even if they reopened the hole in the washroom, most of the adults wouldn't fit. Matsius took off his headscarf, and finding the tear, ripped it in two. He wrapped the pieces around his hands, clutched at the grate again, and tried to drag it aside. He nudged it one inch, then another. The flames crawled up the wall to the roof, and still he could hear the people inside singing. Matsius took a deep breath and breathed out as he pushed against the grate. It screeched against the concrete, but barely moved. Angry, he kicked at it, and his glasses flew from his face as he hit the ground. Another beam had fallen from the roof, trapping his leg underneath. Matsius screamed as the flames seared his clothes and skin. He tried to send his luck back into the beam, but he panicked and lost control. Instead, it was carried away on the wind. 
Matsus tried to concentrate on the board, but for some reason, all he could think about was that he didn't get to say goodbye to Key that morning. Footsteps approached. Matsus pushed against the ground, trying to get out from under the beam, but every time he moved, it moved with him. The footsteps got closer. Matsus grunted. If it was an enforcer, they might shove him into the fire. Mateus? It was the voice of Uratrud, Key's mother. Strong arms slid under his. One, two, three. The woman pulled Matsius backward with a quick, strong tug. His leg came free of the board, which fell to the ground. Someone came in front of him to smother the fire on his leg. Though slightly blurry, Matsius recognized Ura. She had skin the same deep brown as his own, but stood at least a head taller, the muscular frame of a gymnast. My parents! Matsius shouted and tried to crawl toward the burning building, but Ura blocked him. Mateus, we don't have time. No, we have to save them! When he couldn't push her out of the way, he beat Ura with his fists. She barely seemed to notice. She looked over his shoulder. An enforcer is coming. We have to go. She picked up Matsius, who struggled and screamed, so she clapped one hand over the boy's mouth and pinned his arms with the other. She ran through the streets, and with each step, Matsius's leg throbbed. He could hear the enforcer's footsteps behind them. They got closer and closer, then they stopped. Bang! 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 Matsius opened his eyes. He sat in a chair, bathed in a cold sweat. Key sat next to him. She reached toward him, plucked his glasses from his shirt collar, and handed them to him. As he put them on, he remembered where he was, on a train, in the country of Nefrail, in the northern hemisphere for the first time, and he was going to Faraday Academy of Magic. Bang! 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 Matsius jumped as someone knocked on the door to their compartment. He swallowed, pushing down his fear. Key stood and slid the door open. For a moment, Matsius almost left. Even with her black hair in some fancy updo, the bronze-skinned girl who stood in the doorway was tiny. Compared to Key's six feet, she looked like a child. A cramp went through the stub of Matsius's leg where his prosthetic was attached. He winced and tried to massage it through his trousers. Hello? The tiny girl said in Shukbo. I need a place to... She trailed off when she saw Matsius. Are you okay? Matsius nodded and swallowed again, trying to think of something to say. Even though he had been using Shukbo almost exclusively since he received his acceptance letter, the language still felt unfamiliar on his tongue. Fortunately, Ki had spoken it most of her life and answered for him. My brother doesn't do well on trains. The girl cocked her head up at Key, as if she didn't quite hear, but she didn't say anything, which was just as well, because Key had turned away from her to rummage in their luggage. She pulled out a thermos of tea, poured a cup for Matsius, and pressed it into his hand. It was a calming tea Key's mother had purchased just before they had left for school. They had packed a pound of it, just to be on the safe side. He sipped at it and felt the tremors in his body slow. Do you need to take it off? This time, Key spoke quietly in Jahu, flicking her eyes to Matt's leg. Matsius watched as the tiny girl came in and, with a single heft, lifted her bag onto the rack above the seat. He shook his head. I'll be fine until we get to school. He responded in Shukbo. Aside from needing the practice, Pilan custom encouraged the use of a language all present could understand. Private conversations went against the nature of hospitality. Key frowned at him, still standing with one hand on the luggage rack. 
He had a feeling she doubted the truth of his statement, but in the end, she took her seat rather than calling him out on it. The other girls sat down across from him. I guess it's good you're traveling with your brother. You're not going to be sick, are you? Matsya shook his head and smiled into his tea. She was not the first stranger to mistake Key for a boy. It was an easy mistake to make, of course, as tall as she was. She wore her dark brown curls cropped to her ears, and her small breasts were easily hidden by a loose shirt. It didn't help that outside of the southern continent, Key was usually a boy's name. Matsyas took another sip from his cup and said to the newcomer, I suppose you're joining us. You have two free seats. No one else does. There aren't any other options. For a moment, they just sat as the train rumbled to a start. Then Key offered her hand to the girl. I'm Key. This is Matt. She indicated Matsyas, whose new Thisaju passport listed him as Matt Truth. Because even in the country of Atlanthaya, being Thisaju was better than being Galan. Key's parents told him things would probably be different in the frail, but the admissions panel at Faraday had agreed to let him attend under his adopted name, and Matt wasn't about to risk it. I'm Miriam. The girl shook Key's hand. Matt merely nodded at her, his hand still wrapped around his cup of tea. He decided to let Key lead the conversation. She wasn't only better at Chabot, she was better at talking to people in general. But after the introductions, there was another awkward pause. Apparently, Miriam also expected Key to lead the conversation. Fortunately, she obliged. Where are you from, Miriam? Oh, Ulai. And you? She glanced at Key and then looked at the floor of the train. Key looked at Matt, as if expecting him to have an answer to the girl's odd behavior, which, of course, he didn't. They're from the southern continent. Miriam looked up quickly and then down again. The southern continent? Not a specific country? Does that mean you're... The Saju. Key twisted her hands in her lap. It was the first time Matsyas had seen her look uncomfortable talking about her family background. Matt wondered if the school uniform contributed to it. Even though Key's father had embroidered traditional Fisaju symbols on their collars, their starched white shirts with the Faraday starfish looked nothing like the soft yellow and brown tunics Key would normally wear. It didn't occur to me that I might meet Fisaju at Faraday. I'm sorry, that was probably rude. Key laughed and then smiled the way Matt had seen Ura smile at customers she thought particularly difficult. We do mostly live in the South, but sometimes these Aju come North. In fact, our cousin brought our applications up here last winter, and Matt and I have been talking about applying to Faraday since we were kids. That's amazing that you've already traveled so much. This is the first time I've gotten to leave Ulai. I can hardly wait to see the rest of the world. He looked once more at Matsyas, as if she knew what he was thinking. Me too. You have been listening to Natural Magic, written and narrated by Molly Srotis. The voice of Matt was played by Casey Kirkpatrick. Key was played by CJ Branneman, and Miriam was played by Stephanie of the Drift. Vishal Fandel was voiced by Christopher Sroges, and our cast was rounded out by Stephen Nunez as our temple attendee. Music and sound effects from Pixabay. For more information on our artists, or to read this book online, find The Stitch Witch's Apprentice on Tumblr or use the links in the show notes.